We are Sarah and Laura. We are doulas, mothers, women, wives, and entrepreneurs. We love a lot of things. The gym, food, coffee, health, kombucha, our families, and our friends. We are so committed to being authentic, honest, and vulnerable and showing up here just the way we are. We promise to never positive wash anything, but please know that we are wholeheartedly committed to radically thriving. With this podcast, we hope to connect on a deeper level and talk about hard stuff. Ultimately, we want women and mothers to know deeply who they are and what makes them feel happy. Whether you're getting into a bath or taking us on a walk with you. Or maybe you're commuting to work. We are honored that you chose our podcast to listen to. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Laura. Who do we have with us today? We have Jacqueline Seaback, who is a physiotherapist. We're so excited because we always refer all of our clients to pelvic floor physiotherapy. Yes. And we really wanted a podcast where we could say, if you have no idea what pelvic floor physiotherapy is, you can go listen. We've literally had a client, Jacqueline, who said, so she wanted to put her fingers inside me? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, so I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot to mention that part. Yeah. That does happen. <laughs> that yeah. is, that is a little heads up would have been nice. Yeah. yeah. So I did apparently not give the heads up. So this podcast will be the heads up. So welcome. Can you introduce yourself to us? Tell us a bit about you, about why you got into this work and a bit about your family. Sure. Yeah. So my name's Jacqueline and, um, I've been a physiotherapist for, oh my gosh, yeah, probably about 12 years. And really only got into the pelvic health side of things uh, maybe four or five years ago. Uh, before that, I treated a lot of sports injuries and, you know, just the, the standard things, um, sore backs and hips and shoulders. And then, yeah, just over the course of building our own family and my husband and I have four kids. And through that process and just chatting with girlfriends and, you know, struggling with stuff myself and you realize like, this is crazy. Like, I know that there are people that treat these conditions. Um, but at the time, like even five years ago, there was not as much education knowledge around uh, different conditions and stuff that you can do about them. Um, so I was like, this is crazy that people, not more people are treating this, um, even though I know there was lots of physios at that time that were doing amazing work. Um, so yeah, I kind of, for obvious reasons, I, I fought getting into pelvic health for a while because I'm like, oh, I don't want to, you know, be mean to people all day and, and do those types of exams. And so I thought, well, you know what, no problem. I'll just kind of learn some stuff and I'll just do all the external stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, um, I took the first course I took was in the States and it was for geared towards, uh, athletes and pelvic health. And uh, yeah, about 10 minutes into that course, I said, Oh man, like now I, <laughs> I actually gotta do this right. And cause it's really important and people are struggling and, um, yeah. So then I, um, did the, the training to, to do pelvic health stuff. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit about me and I've been really enjoying it. It's, it's kind of an incredible field to be working in as you guys know as well, just all surrounding birth and, and postpartum and the preparation and the, the recovery from that. Um, so yeah, it's, I find it really rewarding. And um, yeah, it's probably the, my favorite job I've ever had <laughs> is doing the pelvic health stuff. Where did you go to school for um, 12 years ago? Uh, yeah, so I did my physio training out in Halifax at Dalhousie University, and that was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed my experience there. Um, yeah, and before that, I had a degree in kinesiology at McMaster University in Hamilton. Nice. Same, same. I did my yeah. degree in kin at uh, Western. 
Oh, amazing. I did not um, know. Yeah, <laughs> it's good base. I, I like it for yeah. all the physiology things. Yeah, um, so then five years ago, you went back. Is that how you, how does that work then? What does that look like? Yeah, so the, the pelvic training is we don't get a lot of that. And I know Western has actually done a really great job of trying to integrate that more into their kind of standard physio training. Um, but yeah, at least when I was going through 12 years ago, it was not, I think we had one lab session on uh, postpartum, like birth and postpartum recovery. And they essentially taught you how to do Kegels and that was about it. Um, wow. And yeah, so um, to, the training now is, is uh, yeah, kind of an additional postgraduate training. Um, and there's a company that does all that stuff uh, called Pelvic Health Solutions out of Canada. And there's one out of the States as well. Um, so that's kind of who I did my training with was um, the Canadian Public Health Solutions Company. And yeah, usually it's just kind of a few weekends and they, to get kind of certified, I guess you would say. Um, and then there's additional courses you can take that kind of have areas of special interest. Like you can, you know, take athletes um, courses, you can take more like um, gastro courses, you can take pediatric courses, neuro courses, all of those types of things. So yeah, it, it gets really interesting. <laughs> I'm sure. I remember going um, to um, my physio, not pelvic floor, but for my knee. And I mentioned something about hips and diastasis recti. And you can kind of tell him he's like getting a bit squeamish, like, yeah, I want to get into this territory really. <laughs> yeah. like, 100%. And I would say that's pretty common, even myself, like treating a lot of athletes in the past. It was, I would say everybody's nervous about treating pregnant people yeah right? I see that in massage it. too oh yes yeah. yes right and for sure I yeah I see that a lot and so even myself as a physio and maybe it's because we don't get a lot of training typically in that um but yeah nobody wants to you know be the the jerk that you know hurts them or whatever but they still yeah. need a lot of help right there's a lot of pain conditions as you know associated with pregnancy and postpartum and um so yeah, it's a, it's been a fun journey to yeah just get more comfortable in treating those conditions and those populations and yeah, that's really interesting. I actually it. had no idea. I thought it was like a fully different stream. Like I thought there was like pelvic floor physiotherapy was its own stream, and you had to choose it. Mm. You know, like yeah. fresh out of your undergrad. Yeah. Um, so it's not. Yeah, no, it's kind of an additional. Yeah, usually in physio, there's kind of three main streams. So you can do cardiorespiratory physio, which is more like, um, you know, heart surgery and asthma and all of that stuff. Um, and then there's like neurophysio, which is more the strokes and, um, you know, brain injuries and, and surgeries and stuff like that. And then there's the orthopedic physio, which is the one that everyone is most familiar with, which is, you know, the sore shoulders and the rotator cuff tears and the sore knees. And uh, yeah, but the, the pelvic physio is really kind of an additional training after uh, someone has graduated. So yeah, they would have, they would be a registered physiotherapist and then um, carry on that training afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. So you said you have four kids. How old are your kids? So my oldest is 10 and then um, we have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old. Oh my gosh, our families would fit so nicely they with hers. Totally <laughs> our oldest are both 10 too. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. We were on the same baby schedules. Yeah, we so were. Yeah. So um, tell me, did you go for pelvic floor physiotherapy with like your 10, eight, six-year-old? I did not. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Which is part of the problem. So yeah. Yeah, my, I, uh, I probably researched to, to death what I should do during pregnancy. 
Okay. Um, I totally ignored what should happen during birth. Yeah. <laughs> Never even crossed my mind. Oh, right. I'm going to have to get this baby out. So yeah, I knew what to eat and not eat in pregnancy and all of this stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I wish in hindsight, I wish I had known a lot of this information um, and had connections with a lot of, of practitioners, you know, like doulas and midwives. And, um, you know, there's just some really incredible practitioners out there that have so much knowledge to share. And I totally missed the boat on all of that. <laughs> yeah. So, and I honestly, of course, hindsight's 2020, but um, my son was, ended up being an emergency C-section. And I, I really think that there's a lot of things I could have done differently that would have, um, you know, potentially avoided that situation. And of course, that's easy to say now, but um, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> that was so with your first? What? Yeah. So that was with yeah. my first. Yeah. Um, and then I struggled with a, a really bad diastasis probably after my third, definitely after my third, um, and it worsened after my fourth baby. And so that's kind of when I started, yeah, seeking some help, um, from a really incredible pelvic physio in Stratford. And, um, yeah, she was really helpful to kind of get the ball rolling that way. And then, yeah, it just kind of ballooned from there in terms of like, Hey, I should kind of learn how to do this to, to help other people. And, um, and so that's really when I kind of got into the, uh, the pelvic physio world. Yeah. Neat. Yeah, we I keep telling people that, that birth is an athletic event. Would oh you agree? God. Yes. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, and it can be very, um, yeah, there's a lot of recovery needed afterwards too, right. As you know, and mm -hmm. sometimes I think just as a society in general, we kind of glaze over that fact that bodies have done an incredible thing <laughs> to birth a baby, whether that's vaginal or cesarean. And um, yeah, and you, sometimes you just need a little extra support. And I think the main message I hear most commonly <laughs> uh, people tell me in their postpartum recovery is that, you know, oh, I just, I thought it was just normal. You know, I pee my pants. So I, I thought that's just the way it was because I'd had babies or they've been told by their healthcare provider that, oh, it's just normal. You've had a, a baby or two or three. Um, so you're just going to have to put up with that. And yeah, we, we wouldn't do that for any other type of thing, right? Again, my, my sports injuries background, it's if you had an athlete that sprained their ankle, a volleyball player and say, oh, well, you know, that's just the way it is. You're a volleyball player. So you're probably going to sprain your ankle. It's, you know, it just goes with the territory. We would never say that, right? We would say, no, oh. let's, let's rehab this. Let's get that ankle stronger. Let's give you the supports that you need to, so you can keep playing your sport and enjoying the things mm -hmm. you enjoy in life right so mm -hmm. imagine men were peeing themselves all the time yeah <laughs> there would be a thousand journal articles on right <laughs> and medications to resolve that yep yeah. <laughs> i'm a little mad I'm yeah. Mad. <laughs> yeah i'm just thinking about incontinence specifically uh we both um, go to a crossfit gym and mm. it, it's become kind of for a while there there was a bit of like weird glorification there was like a camaraderie about it like yeah. oh we're doing double unders today everybody get ready to pee all over yeah. the floor or like you're not lifting heavy enough until you soak the floor and it got yeah. weird like crossfit competitions where like girls were peeing on boxes and like yeah. wiping yeah. out yeah. in their own urine and it was like yeah. okay cool that we've got to a spot where we're it's normalized we're, we're normalizing it's open to talk about it also this is still functionally wrong like yeah this and is let's not leave it there right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it was yeah. like we made progress and then halted yeah. yeah um so so something we're seeing often i'd love to hear your take on it um is when people have incontinence just in the fresh postpartum 
Mm. What would you say to people like they've just had a baby and they're in their, in their first two weeks? Yeah. So certainly. And yeah, I see that as well. There's a lot of reports about, um, yeah. And there is some natural healing that occurs and recovery that happens in that kind of short time immediately following postpartum. Um, and which kind of makes sense, you know, it's a, the body goes through a lot. And so sometimes the body's in a little bit of shock there, I say, or, you know, muscles are just kind of figuring and sorting out what to do and how to do it again. So there is like, we do have some leeway for that kind of immediate postpartum recovery period. Um, usually those are also the people though, that had some issues either in pregnancy or before. So, and yet not always, right. Cause sometimes, you know, depending if they used forceps or there can be some, some damage or um, strain or, you know, pressures that occur that lead to that bladder incontinence. Um, even if you didn't have issues before, but a, a lot of the patients I see um, it would probably be, you know, I was leaking a bit in pregnancy. So again, addressing those factors early can usually save some time. And yeah, I love seeing people during pregnancy to kind of give them some ideas of ways to avoid that. Cause yeah, that's not fun when you're trying to sort out, you know, potentially being a, a new parent for the first time or juggle other kids for the first time. And um, yeah, I, I would say if it kind of lasts longer than even like a week or two where it's, it's still giving you trouble, then I would definitely connect with a, a pelvic health uh, practitioner or physiotherapist um, cause yeah, you should be able to get that sorted out. Even there's lots of things you can do even in that immediate time right after that can make things life nicer for you. Cause yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> and do you find, um, do you say six weeks? Is that when you say you want to see people six oh, weeks? Yeah. Good them? question. That's a really good question. So I would say if you're struggling with things come in as soon as you're ready to, um, and that usually we don't do the internal pelvic exam to, uh, to more directly assess the pelvic floor until you've had that six week clearance from the midwife or the doctor. Um, and that's just for kind of obvious healing things. We don't want to be potentially introducing bacteria into the vaginal canal if things are still healing, um, even though we do use a, what we call a clean technique. So usually if you're expecting an internal exam or again, you're not really having many issues, then kind of six weeks or, or afterwards when you're ready and able to is what we would recommend. However, if you're again, struggling with incontinence, um, if you're having any type of pain, six weeks is a long time to wait <laughs> to yeah. get that ball rolling. So I usually say, come in, there's so many things that your physiotherapist should be able to get you started on without doing the internal exam. Um, and then just kind of, you know, add that in down the road if it's needed uh, to fine tune or, you know, make sure you're, you're getting the whole package of things that you need to address and not missing something. So yeah, you can really come in anytime, but if it's so, just for a general check six weeks or, or later. And then in pregnancy, um, so we do have some people who don't have benefits and mm -hmm. obviously we feel like this should be covered as I'm sure you feel. Yep. Um, makes us kind of crazy that like in France, they can have upwards of 20 visits covered in pregnancy and postpartum yeah. and that's all covered. But let's say someone has um, the finances to come see you, you know, once in pregnancy, once or twice postpartum, what's kind of your ideal, um, you know, when would you like to see them in pregnancy? If you're going to talk a bit about how to push effectively and what are some things they can do and when do you want to see them postpartum? Yeah, so that's a good question. So as, again, assuming they're not struggling with any like, pain or, or incontinence issues, um, I really love seeing people really anywhere from like 30 
um, to 36 weeks. We don't like leaving it too close to the end because there's some stuff mm -hmm. that you can practice ahead of time and get more familiar with. Um, and usually you can start doing uh, some of the techniques like perineal massage, for example, around 34 to 36 weeks. So yeah, anywhere kind of around that time, I would say is, is great. Um, and again, just keep an eye because depending what practitioner you want to go and see, sometimes they're booked up a little bit in advance. So, um, you know, hop on the websites, get booked in for roughly mm -hmm. that time well in advance so that you're, you're not left hanging. Um, so that's when I personally like to see people during pregnancy. And again, yeah, usually we would go over um, a lot of similar stuff that you know, you guys would be able to help out with in terms of giving some fine-tuned direction in the moment. But yeah, we might touch on some different birth positions, uh, more from like the, again, the, the pelvic floor standpoint and, and how that impacts the tissues there. Um, yeah, we can talk about different pushing strategies, um, ways to relax the pelvic floor, which sometimes people forget about. <laughs> and often I have people come in and say, hey, yeah, I need to strengthen my pelvic floor to get ready for birth. And Yes, you do need a strong pelvic floor, but we got to get those expanding and opening up so baby yeah. can get out of there. So usually I, I spend a good deal of time on that. And then, yeah, again, afterwards, assuming there's no issue, I usually recommend booking in around six weeks or after you've had your follow up with the doctor or midwife. And yeah, and a lot of people are fine with just those two visits. Um, again, my approach is maybe a little different than other physios, but I like kind of loading up um, different exercises and stuff that you can chip away on at home, especially if you don't have insurance. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that stuff you can do, people you know, are fast learners, so they can incorporate that stuff and, and carry on with it. And, um, so you mentioned about people having a tight pelvic floor and about positions and pushing. Mm -hmm. um, if you were to give me like a, a uh, stat or um, like, what do you find when people come in and they say that, like, oh, I need you Kegel strength in my pelvic floor. Um, would you say like what percentage of women are actually coming in with a tight pelvic floor or with trigger points? I would in pregnancy, I would say 99.99. Oh, wow. 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 <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and again, we, it's always, we always wondered if it was more like we we obviously think like runners, gymnasts, mm -hmm. and um crossfitters were like those are the tight pelvic floors, yeah. but you're saying like everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Like pregnancy and postpartum, I would say our our vast, vast majority are tend to be on the tight side. Um, I, I tend to see only like the, the really true weaknesses in like my perimenopausal women. <laughs> um, wow. so yeah, usually there's an often, and keep in mind, often it's a mix of both, right? So sometimes there is some underlying weakness, but more often than not, I find uh, a lot of the conditions, especially in pregnancy, postpartum are being driven by the tightness. Um, and it makes sense. Like if you think of the pelvic floor is having to do more work than usual as body goes through really incredible changes in a relatively short period of time right so mm -hmm. often those muscles are working a bit harder to support the added weight of you know baby placenta all of the, the additional tissues and blood volume and so often um women you know or they they tend to not be able to exercise as much or move as much so there's a lot of factors that kind of go into how the pelvic floor functions or doesn't function and so again in pregnancy especially uh, we tend to see a lot of that tight related scenarios. And then I find there's a lot of kind of emotional influence after <laughs> birth as well. Um, just like if kind of if you sprained your ankle <laughs> and your body says, ah, oh, what the heck just happened? And a lot of those muscles around will kind of tense up in a protective response. And I find the pelvic floor often has a similar um, 
thing that it goes through after birth, right? Especially vaginal birth, but also cesarean, um, that it just kind of goes into this protective response and said, um, that's never stretched that much before Mm. (laughs) what just happened. And then it kind of, um, tightens up in a, so you want to see people for an internal, uh, at six weeks also, if they've had a cesarean. Yes. Mm. And again, yeah, I guess it depends on the person, right? So it's kind of, there's this myth out there that if you've had a cesarean birth, your pelvic floor has not been impacted, which is not true <laughs> because it's had the same or similar demands during all throughout pregnancy as well. Um, so whether you whether you deliver your baby vaginally or by cesarean, um, usually, especially if you're coming in to see me, usually you're having some issues. And so, yeah, I, I do, I will do a, an internal exam of the pelvic floor muscles, just to, again, make sure we don't miss anything, uh, make sure that exercises are being effective and targeted and specific for what you need. Um, and we certainly see different, you know, percentages in terms of the types of conditions afterwards. So for vaginal birth, we tend to see, you know, potentially more prolapse or, um, you know, trauma to the tissues from forceps or things like that. Um, Obviously the perineal tears or episiotomies and the scars there can um, behave differently. But yeah, for for cesarean birth, um, personally, I tend to see more like pain with intercourse, again, related to some of the tightness, um, which makes sense. Like you, or, you know, and just along with that, any of the incontinence to anything that kind of creates some tension in the pelvic floor. Um, because a lot of, when you think about it, <laughs> you're awake for that surgery. Um, and so you're kind of, you're aware of what's going on. Potentially there's some, you know, emotional angst around, okay, is my baby going to be safe in the case of, you know, an emergency C-section or, well, my birth plan just went out the window and I'm feeling frustrated or angry about that. Right. So there's a lot of kind of emotional components that can add to that tension of the pelvic floor. And so we tend to see that more after, um, cesarean birth. Mm -hmm. Okay. My mind is blown Mm -hmm. on this body mind connection of the pelvic floor. I'm just thinking, uh, like how often, um, do women cry in your appointments? All the time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's one of the things I actually really love about, um, treating pelvic health conditions now is it's super emotional. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah, there's often tears. um, And even just like the types of conditions that I see, right, they're already like, they're highly personal. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, There's often a lot of emotional stuff that has got you there, or that is impacting right in the case of pain with intercourse, for example, like, you know, I feel like it's impacting our relationship, because we can't connect in the same physical way. So, um, or again, like cesarean birth is probably I've treated a lot of post-surgical conditions that's by far the most emotional one right because there's so many factors you know potentially some birth trauma um just the processing what happened and all of that um so yeah there's there's lots of crying (laughs) I bet you're you're probably one of the best like compassionate listeners for people to tell their birth stories to people who don't have a doula or midwives are probably coming into you and you're hearing the birth story for the first time yeah yeah, for sure. And it's, which is really powerful, right? Because yeah. Yeah, sometimes people aren't ready to share until they yeah, are in an environment where they feel like they can do that. So yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, sometimes new realizations and processing that happens. And certainly I'm not trained as a physiotherapist to, you know, coach people through that, but you can't, in my opinion, you can't separate the physical and the emotional pieces because they go hand in hand (laughs) but yes I do refer out a lot to psychotherapy you know if people need more um, formalized 
support that way. But even just, it's like you say, it's, and as you guys know, I'm sure you see this a lot in the work that you do. It can be really powerful just to share your story with someone that you trust, right? Absolutely. And it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be a professional, but you know, a mom, a sister, um, your husband, your partner, um, it doesn't have to be necessarily formal and, and super expensive. And, you know, again, for people that don't have benefits, it's just kind of sharing and processing and talking through that can really impact. Um, and I see that impact the physical symptoms too, when people start taking care of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What tips would you have or advice for people who, you know, are going through intercourse problems, vaginismus, have a prolapse, don't recognize themselves anymore, take a look at their vagina after an episiotomy, after a severe repair, and their their, their labia, their, their vagina doesn't look the way it did before, the way they're expecting it to. How, how do you help people heal through that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and again, I think that's a perfect example of how the kind of the emotional um, pieces really tie into that recovery, that physical recovery. So obviously as a, as a physiotherapist, there's lots you can do to kind of, to yeah, help guide that recovery from the physical aspects in terms of often we can do a lot of scar tissue work that can um, sometimes change the appearance. Um, often depending on the injury, or the extent of the injury, it's likely, just like with the abdomen, it's likely that that you will never have the original tissue back. <laughs> and so sometimes just putting realistic expectations on that in terms of what to expect or not expect uh, can be you know, helpful to process. Um, and then, yeah, certainly, usually yeah, people are pretty good. Usually you can get some pretty good gains with addressing some of those physical pieces in terms of the scar work. Um, and obviously pain conditions uh, so that there can be more physical connection pain-free during intercourse uh, and it can be very effective like a, depending on the patient it doesn't have to be a lot of visits either and again tons of stuff you can work on and practice at home to help sort that out but yeah that is a tough one um, especially kind of related to the aesthetics of that the side of yeah like so for the aesthetics like do you encourage people to spend more time with a mirror to not do that like is there any thoughts around when it specifically looks different or if uh, the way their prolapse looks is getting in their head for mm-hmm. them? yeah that's a good one and prolapse I find tends to be in a category all itself it can be really terrifying for people right both from the the physical and and, and emotional side of things so again usually usually I expect people to get pretty good results with physio in in terms of prolapse. And so usually they can get to the point where it's not visibly of concern or in terms of symptoms as well. Um, So there's a lot, I would say there's a lot of kind freeing journey, if I can use that phrase, in terms of getting to the point where just confidence wise, right? I think it comes down to confidence a lot. And especially in the case of prolapse, but really any of the other conditions, if you can get to the point where you're getting back to, you know, for example, your heavy lifting or um, being able to just pick up your toddler without feeling things drop down or a bulge, right? That I, I find a lot of times that helpful confidence in the physical symptoms can really shift the the need to have things aesthetically look different. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure I'm verbalizing that well, but yeah, I would say kind of confidence is, is helpful. The mirror again is pretty individual. Some people really just don't like 
looking down there for a variety of reasons. Um, for some patients, it can actually be quite triggering. And so I really try to, you know, make it specific in terms of what I think the, the patient would need. And yes, some people, that's a great idea. It gives them just kind of some consistent, <laughs> I don't know, practice at looking and appreciating that area. Mm -hmm. um, and I think once I would encourage patients too to chat with their partners about it if, if they're in a relationship with a partner, because it, it blows my mind how many times, like 99.9% .9 of the time, partners are like, yeah, you know, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> and yeah. the birthing person is like, well, I feel weird because I feel like it bothers me or you look at me different or all of these things. So again, sometimes just having those conversations can be really liberating as well, because you realize if you actually listen <laughs> to mm -hmm. what they're saying, it's like, you know what, this doesn't bother me. I still love you. I appreciate mm -hmm. you. I love you more, all of these things. Mm -hmm. And, and that can help change the, the goals, I guess, in terms of re reaching a certain aesthetic or making it like it was per se. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, when you're talking about a prolapse, does it frustrate you that the medical um, side is like surgery or bust? Yes, it does. <laughs> because most of my patients, if in my opinion, if you're getting kind of a good thorough rehab, there's very few people that should require a surgery. And well, we they say like five years for a hammock and you blow through it. Anyway. Yeah, it's, it's about five to seven years. And before you need a repair. And again, which make to me makes sense, right? Because if you, you can like tack something up or sling it up or surgically move it up. But if you're in this, in the case of a, a prolapse, it has a lot to do with, with how your body deals with pressure. So if you're constantly um, adding more strenuous pressure down through those tissues, you can kind of, you can sling it back up, but if the pressure is the same coming down, it's gonna, it's just a matter of time before that <laughs> also sags down again right so that's what we would kind of address in in physio is is addressing some of those underlying issues that maybe led it to um, be bulgy or saggy in the first place so I, I find um, and there hasn't been much research on that but I would put money on the fact that if if they looked at that in some of the research studies that people that address some of those underlying conditions would have longer surgical outcomes um, for that reason I was wondering when you were uh, talking about the prenatal visit in the 30 to 36, and you were talking about positions for pushing, um, if you could talk a little bit about um, purple pushing or, or breath holding and pushing um, and kind of, you know, how you go through the pushing conversation with clients. Yeah, that's a really great question. So, and again, I usually try to phrase it because I'm, you know, not naive to think that the stuff that we learn or the outlook we have in pelvic physio is by any means the gold standard way of doing it or the only way to do it. So I usually kind of preface that with patients. Um, I obviously don't have the advantage of being in the labor rooms with patients. So obviously um, things might change, right? And I let patients know that it's really just kind of different tools for depending what your body might need. In terms of the purple pushing, <laughs> from the pelvic floor standpoint, I tend not to like that. Um, a, because it takes a lot of energy. Right. So as you know, if you're potentially uh, pushing for two or three hours, that's a lot of energy that you could be, in my opinion, using more effectively to, to guide baby out. Um, and you guys already know this. The rest of us are slow to the game sometimes. But there is a really interesting link between pelvic floor and voice and jaw. Mm. And when you do that purple, push, purple pushing or that kind of closed glottis breath, 
it can drive, and that's kind of the point, is it drives a lot of pressure down on the pelvic floor. And again, when you're doing that time after time and push after push, um, that can just wear the pelvic floor down. And again, that's often where we see, we were talking about prolapse earlier, that's often where we see kind of um, potentially a, a different impact depending on the person in terms of developing those types of conditions. And not always, but you do, depending on the person, that, that might be something that uh, develops as a result. So again, from my perspective, I tend to gravitate more towards the open glottis pushing because you can use some of that um, voice jaw pressure management to your advantage to impact the pelvic floor. And it's just another layer that again, might be helpful to spur things along a little bit. And I'm having like traumatic flashbacks of a nurse that was telling one of my clients, like, keep your sounds in. And my oh. client kept oh, vocalizing. Yeah. I was like, oh, why? No. Like, well, on repeat, oh, like I'm, yes. I'm just thinking about one, yeah, when I was at recently, you know, take a deep breath in, tuck your chin, curl, hold your breath and push yeah. everything down here. I'm just wondering if you could drop in today at an OB class, <laughs> you know, what would your, what would your TED talk be? Oh, that's a good one. Oh man. I have so many TED talks, but yeah, I think just kind of shifting away from this idea too, that it has to be done a certain way, I think is really important because again, and I see it all the time in my, um, my clinic is that, or like in my treatment room is that it totally depends on the person. Like some things work really well for people. Mm -hmm. Some things work really well in certain positions for people and not well in other positions or, you know, between people. So I think, yeah, kind of shifting away from the idea of, you know, it has to look like this. And, and again, kind of more just giving, building people tools <laughs> that, you know, as a, an OB or a midwife or a doula that you can just kind of layer in depending what they need in that situation, I think is really powerful. Um, oh man, yeah, that's a great question. I, you should have emailed me that one ahead of time. <laughs> I'm going to think you can, if you think on it and you email it to us, we will share it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, for us, um, you know, we're just allowed back in the hospital now and it's been a year and a half. Um, we each attended, I think one birth in yeah. a hospital over the course, over of, the course the of a year, year and a half, but oh, the wow. rest of them were home birth, right? Yeah. So we've been to a lot of home birth. We've been really spoiled. spoiled. And, you know, getting back in there and realizing like, oh, wow, we are right back into the breath holding, the coaching, the yeah. stirrups, the yeah. on your back, the pushing the epidurals, pushing the inductions, yeah. pushing the Pitocin and, uh, you know, lots of fingers in while they're pushing, lots of stretching while they're pushing, lots of coaching. And I mean, honestly, sometimes it makes me want to throw up, but um yeah, it's wild that that's kind of the, that's so normal to them. Mm -hmm. That is, that is as they're training their new residents, um, that's what they're teaching them to do. You know, only fingers in while they're pushing. I'm like, how about no fingers in at all? Yeah. And it's so much about the speed, right? So like on one hand, oh, well, you only push for 16 minutes. So it's fast. So this, that, whatever about the baby, but also how could they have not only pushed for 16 minutes? Cause you gave them no time. You were yelling at them to push the entire time. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah. It's yeah. There's a lot of pieces, right. That. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Do you have, um, like a go-to tip for pushing with an epidural? I think that's one of the ones that it's a game changer a bit when you lose a lot of that sensation. Yeah, for sure. That's a really good, 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say, so I've kind of gravitated a lot towards, um, so I will still encourage people to use different positions, mm -hmm. even with epidurals. Yep. So yep. again, I personally, or usually the one that is the easiest to implement is something like a sideline position, um, yeah. because even in hospital, you know, that's a potentially one that will uh, work. <laughs> that and, they'll tolerate. <laughs> right, yes. But again, even like there's still, like the more I've been looking into it, and again, as you know, like there's, there's still lots of options that you can use, especially with, you know, using a peanut ball and just positioning and propping and, and having people support you. So there's, I think sometimes people assume that it's just, if I've had an epidural, it's just one option <laughs> and away yeah. we go. But yeah, I try to encourage that. So I will kind of go through the sideline position because uh, that can be really helpful for pelvic floor, especially. Mm. I also, in terms of the pushing, so just generally speaking, I like to teach the kind of an inhale relaxation breath for to allow the pelvic floor to expand and get counter some of that tension that often shows up in birth because you're scared, you're in pain, you're freaking out, what did I get myself into and all of those things or you have people in the room that are just rubbing you the wrong way, right? So you've got all of these potential sources of tension. So yeah. having a tool to counter that. And so I think of it kind of like your pre- you're setting up the pelvic floor and it in kind of a, a pre-opened or pre-stretched position with that inhale breath. And then as you exhale, uh, again, the, the typical cue is to maybe like push like you're having a poop or um, for example, which can be a really great cue. Mm -hmm. If you've had an epidural, again, because most people push like they're having to poop down in the pelvis and you can't feel that or sense that the same, um, I'll use some techniques where I have people push from up in the rib cage. Um, which again engages the abs a little differently. Typically it's above where the epidural is hitting so they can feel it and sense it a bit more. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I like that kind of approach because again, it, it helps people feel like they're still in a bit of control yeah. and can sense it and are only relying on, you know, being coached or which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But again, in the moment, it's just nice to have some of those tools you can play with yourself, yeah. I guess. That makes a lot of sense when I can feel the fetal ejection reflex in my body. You do feel it higher up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and you sometimes get more um, erect like, yeah, like, because your, your whole body's engaged and you're, I remember with my son with the fetal ejection reflex, my body almost like boarding, hmm. like just going wow. so yeah, flat. Um, I just want to throw a couple things at you real quick. Um, yeah just uh because i feel like these are things we've we've heard a lot um and so yeah tailbone people spraining or breaking their tailbone uh people sitting on donuts and i feel like people always say um i never heard about this before i had a baby why does nobody talk about this and then fetal incontinence oh, yeah. um, so i know the tailbone thing um seems to be like some physios will uh, do the, um, anal and adjustment and some won't, what's kind of the take on that? Yeah. And I guess that's where the, where the internal exam comes in helpful. Um, again, if it's something that it's like really painful early on, then obviously you wouldn't be doing the internal until that six week mark, but yeah, it, that's an interesting one. Cause I personally, I think that it's tough to because sometimes they won't always image that, right? So sometimes I think the the true fractured tailbone gets maybe um, overdiagnosed a little bit. 
mm. than it is prevalent, but certainly those, so a lot of the pelvic floor muscles attach onto the tailbone. That's kind of where some of them start. And if pelvic floor muscles are super, super tight, <laughs> it can pull funny on the tailbone. So either harder to one side and not as much on the other side, or it can pull really hard and make it kind of tilt forward a little bit. And again, that's sometimes where you run into those scenarios where, yeah, it just, it feels like it's like bent mm -hmm. almost. So again, I find that um, in certain situations, addressing the pelvic floor can help resolve that quite a bit. Um, and the tailbone pain especially responds well to that. Um, so yeah, and then I think your second part to that was the fecal incontinence. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's an interesting one. So we tend to see that more prevalent uh, on the higher degrees of perineal tears, so like a, a fourth degree tear, for example. Um, it's not, I would say it's not as common as the, the bladder incontinence for sure, but for obviously can be very concerning for people yeah. and, uh, and interfere with their day. Um, and what do you like, is it similar? You're dealing with strengthening the muscles, almost like you're doing Kegels, but you're doing more uh, rectal work. Yeah, so there's ways, there's kind of different sections of the pelvic floor that you can bias in terms of the contractions. And even though they all, they kind of form one group of muscle, you can get pretty specific in terms of that. So yeah, obviously for the fecal incontinence, you might be using different cues to target more around the anus, as opposed to if you had bladder incontinence where you would be using other cues that tended to get the front part of the pelvic floor moving differently. So um, yeah, so that's again where the, getting a, a proper exam from someone that can do especially the internal work comes in really handy because then you can get very specific for what you need um, and we know from the research that a significant portion of women do not do kegels correctly just based on verbal cueing so to say like okay just tighten your pelvic floor most people are like i don't even know what that means <laughs> i don't know if i'm doing it right i don't know if this is how it's supposed to feel so again that's uh, can be really helpful to touch base with a, a physio that can do an internal exam so they can give you some feedback that gets very specific there. But yeah, that's definitely a condition that can be treated um, well. And yeah, usually it involves a component of strength. Yeah. Um, so we had donuts and were the one thing, um, oh, and pessaries, I guess that would be two things that I think people had ne never heard of before they enter the pelvic floor physio realm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, just to touch on the donuts, yeah, that can definitely be a helpful tool, particularly for the tailbone pain. Some people, even if you have tailbone pain, it makes it feel a little bit worse, again, depending on how it impacts the pelvic floor. Um, so again, usually I personally try to get people off the cushions fairly quickly by addressing, you know, whatever's causing some of that pain. But yes, it can definitely be a, a helpful tool, especially early on. And the pessaries, so for people who aren't familiar with those, we tend to use those in a condition called pelvic organ prolapse, where you have some you know, descent of the, the pelvic organs like your bladder, uh, your uterus, or even the rectum kind of down into the vaginal canal. And it's essentially like a little brace for inside your vagina. <laughs> so it helps. There's different kinds. Um, usually they look kind of like a, a ring or a donut and you can fold it, insert it kind of like a menstrual cup, and then it pops open. And usually they have to be fit by uh, an OBGYN. Um, but yeah, or there's some nurse practitioners that have training to do them as well. And uh, yeah, it can be quite the process. There's different sizes and, and all of that stuff, but I, they can be very helpful to relieve some of the more severe grades of prolapse, like a, a potentially a grade three, um, especially if it's bugging you a lot in the day. 
can. And does that, can those help a prolapse retreat ever? Do you ever see a a prolapse go from a three to a two or a two to a one? For sure. So with the pelvic physio and with some exercises, usually we expect it to go back one grade level um, with the exercises. So, and often keep in mind, often you would be using a mix of these things. So usually the conservative uh, approaches. So in the case of a prolapse, you have different options for treatment. So you can do physio, pelvic physio, you can do um, a pessary, you can do surgery. And sometimes it's a combination of both. So usually they like to start with the things that have the least amount of risk. So physio would be a great starting point. And often if we can't get um, the results that we expect to see in a certain chunk of time, or if it's a severe enough uh, grade of prolapse, then the therapist might recommend right off the bat getting a pessary just to make life way easier. If there's someone that we know they're probably not going to do their exercises because they won't have time or energy or resources to invest, then we'll say, hey, you should just get a a, a pessary. Um, And yeah, and often you can use them simultaneously too. Um, I feel like there was a second part I was going to answer to that, but it's gone. That was great. No, it was good. <laughs> um, if you were to put anything on a billboard to tell people, what would you write on your billboard? Oh, I think I would say something to the effect of pelvic physio is more than just Kegels. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and again, in most cases, yeah, you, you definitely need more than Kegels and that's where people can run into trouble. But, and I would also say pelvic physio is for anyone that has a pelvic floor (laughs) for, you know, pregnancy, uh, postpartum conditions. It's, you know, men have pelvic floors too. Um, trans folks have pelvic floors too. Mm -hmm. Um, we see it, a lot of issues in, you know, CrossFit athletes or, um, you know, young, young runners or elderly or perimenopausal. So yeah, it's, it's best known for around pregnancy and postpartum, but definitely you can make changes if you're struggling at any time of life. Yeah. <laughs> young kids, old kids. Love it. That's great. Well, it's been so nice geeking out with you. I love oh. learning. So this has been great. Thanks I learned for, so much. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything else you wanted to add? No, I think I just say thanks. That was a lot of fun. And um, where yeah. can people find you? Oh, yes. Good point. Uh, probably most easily found on Instagram at uh, Jacqueline Seabock. You do some good reels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I do when patients cancel or. Yeah, that's perfect. Great use of your time. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the easiest. Or yeah, you can find me. I work primarily out of Rebirth Wellness Center in downtown London. Um, so you can find me through their website or I do treat some patients, um, north of the city in St. Mary's, Ontario as well. Uh, and I, and you, yeah, you can find more information on my website, www.jacklinseabockpt.com and you'll have access to both those sites through that website. So yeah, don't be afraid to reach out. I love getting questions. I love when people connect and, uh, and want to learn more about pelvic physio. Awesome. We'll put all of that in the show notes for everybody to find you. Perfect. Thank you so much, guys. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye. We would just love it if you would take the time to leave us a five-star rating, a review. If you'd subscribe to our show, you can screenshot it while you're listening to us and even share it on the gram. Remember, you are important too. Disclaimer, we are not medical professionals. Everything said here is our own opinion and not to be taken as medical advice. 
We do not take any responsibility from the outcomes of you taking our advice. Please seek medical advice from your trusted healthcare professionals.